Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about Daily Daf Differently, please visit jcastnetwork.org slash ddd. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Hello and welcome to Daily Daf Differently. Jeremy Kalmanowski with you learning a super interesting page, Tractate Sukkah, page Nun Gimel, full of really interesting Agadah or lore, especially a kind of a mythic trope. Uh, we've been talking about Simchat Beit HaShoevah, the libation festival in, uh, in ancient temple times. Sukkot is a kind of a carnival, in particular, as the rainy season is beginning, it's full of what uh, we might call apotropaic magic, the kind of magic that is supposed to ward off evil stuff and to bring down the good forces, and especially to make it rain. So we have all kinds of cool stories, especially about the ap- acrobatics of Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel, who was super flexible, he could stand with his feet, he would bend all the way down, uh, dig his thumbs into the ground and kiss the earth and then pop right back up again. Other people tried that and they and they injured themselves, as I certainly would injure myself. We hear about the rabbis juggling flaming torches and juggling eggs and doing all kinds of things as befitting carnival times. But in addition to all that fun stuff, there are two Agadot, really famous and classical Agadot pieces of lore that bear a, a moment of reflection because of what they say about the literary heritage and the theological thinking of ancient times. The first one uh, near the top of the page is about Hillel Hazaken, the ancient Hillel, the, the el, elder Hillel. Uh, which means that, that at Simchat Beit HaShoeva he would say, If I am here, then all is here, but if I am not here, then who is here? Now, who is the I in that sentence? Is Hillel making a statement about his own uh, particular charisma in celebrating? If I'm here, it's all here. Uh, well, that's, that wouldn't really seem to befit the kind of thing that the Gemara would say about great sages. So it's interesting that Rashi, our famous 11th century commentator, says that the Ani in that sentence, if I am here, refers not to Hillel at all, but refers to God. Back on page 45 of our tractate, we said that Ani is one of the secret names of God. And a little bit later on our page, Hillel will tell a bit of a parable uh, in which he clearly is speaking in the first person as if God were speaking in a kind of almost prophetic voice. You know, uh, thus says the Lord, if I am here, then everyone is here. And Rashi's view is, is that that's the proper way to interpret it. If I am here, says God, if the divine presence is here, then everyone is here. But if the divine presence is absent, then really, who is here? The Tosafot point out, however, the Rashi's physical and intellectual uh, children and grandchildren point out that the Jerusalem Talmud uh, does not really take this passage that way. The Jerusalem Talmud understands it instead as a statement about the power of Israel's praise. Uh, it says in uh, in that passage, referring to the to Jerusalem to the Jerusalem Talmud, it says. That's from the Psalms, and it's part of our morning service every day. 
You, Holy One, sit enthroned on the praises of Israel. We, we make a, thr a throne, so to speak, for God from our praises. And so if I am here, then thanks to my praises and prayers, God is also here. But if I'm not here, then God is absent, so to speak. The Tosafot point out that the Hillel's next parable, in which uh, he says, if you will come to, quote, my house, then I, quote, will come to your house, that, that clearly is a uh, almost prophetic speech in which Hillel is speaking in the name of God. But that line, if I am here, then all is here, the Tosafot think is, is simpler to refer to uh, a statement about Israel's praise invoking the divine presence. The next great Agadah on our page calls to mind a really amazing work of scholarship about the Bible called Creation and the Persistence of Evil, which recovers a number of stories in the Bible in which God doesn't just say, let there be light, but God has to conquer the forces of chaos, uh, which are, you know, this is like a part of the ancient Near Eastern heritage, that the world is full of chaos and dark forces, and God has to defeat them. And one of the common motifs is about the floods of the ocean overtaking the land and God having to subdue the land. And in rabbinic literature, there are a number of cases in which God seals up the flood by inscribing the divine name, inscribing the Shem Hashem, yud heh vav -Hey, on either a piece of pottery or a stone or something like that and casting it into the ocean to apply some control. Well, on our page today in, in Tractate Sukkah, which, as I mentioned again, is about Simchat Beit HaShoeva, the, the um, festival to invoke all the rain, what we have is an amazing story about David the king building the temple. Now, you and I know that in the Bible, in fact, David is not portrayed as building the temple. His, his son Solomon is. But in our piece of lore today, David is portrayed as digging the foundations for the temple, whereupon he uh, he sort of hits the, the water main, so to speak, and the forces of the deep begin to rise up and deluge the world with chaos. And David has to subdue the forces of chaos in a sort of magical way, parallel to that image of God subduing the forces of chaos with the name. David is also called upon to use the divine name to subdue the waters. And I'll read that to you now down the very bottom of Nun Gimel Amur Aleph. Bisha'ah shekara David shitin, at the moment that David was digging these foundations, kafat the deep arose, uva'ah lemishtefa alma, and sought to flood the whole world, this primordial chaos, the primordial waters below, upon which, you know, if you remember back from Genesis 1, God said, let the waters gather together to a single place and let the dry land appear, God subdued all that craziness uh, and and subdued all of the chaos and allowed dry land and, most importantly, cosmic order to prevail. But now, David is digging beneath the foundation stone of the world. The temple is thought to exist not just at any old place, but at the very center of the world. And he has, you know, struck the water main. He has, he has, he has perhaps unleashed chaos. So David doesn't know what to do. He's freaking out. And he says... Does anyone know if it is permissible? Perhaps we can write the divine name on a, a shard of a pottery and throw it into the, do, into the, the deep, and the deep will um, become still. 
And then David's counselor, Achitofel, makes a good piece of Talmudic Midrash, and he notes that in the Sota ritual, the woman suspected, the ritual trial by ordeal of the woman suspected of having been unfaithful to her husband, uh, their, the ritual of the Book of Numbers relates that they would write a passage from the Torah, blot it out into water, and she would have to drink those words, and that will prove her guilt or innocence. In, in such a case, Ahitophel says, uh, it happens to be a well-known drash from elsewhere in the Talmud, a well-known exposition, that if to bring peace between husband and wife it is okay to blot out the divine name, how much the more so to keep the whole world in order it is permissible, David throws the shard of pottery with the divine name into the water and and brings order in the world is in fact not destroyed. The, the story goes on and says that the waters went too far down and then the world would have been deprived from the necessary waters of aquifers and, and wells and such. And so David then sings the 15 Shirei HaMa'alot, those psalms from 120 to 134 that are that have a superscription of, of uh, songs of ascent, and the water comes back to the world in a manageable, manageable way. Now there is so much that is interesting about this little piece of lore. There is the sense that the temple itself, built at the Tavuro Shel Olam, at the navel of the world, so to speak, uh, is what keeps order in the cosmos, which otherwise would be chaotic. And, and once again, I, I refer you to that amazing book by, by Professor John Levinson of Harvard, Creation and the Persistence of Evil. And in that book, Levinson points out that there's a really amazing psalm. He doesn't, I don't think, refer to our Talmudic passage, but he certainly could have as he talks about the amazing uh, psalm, uh, Psalm 89, I encourage you to go have a look at Psalm 89, which speaks of God defeating Rahav. Rahav is the name of the ancient sea monster. This is one of his best examples that creation is not God imposing his order just by the will of the divine, the honest and uh, clear will of the divine. It's defeating chaos. And furthermore, that psalm talks about God's uh, cooperation with the house of David, to build a, a good and clean world. And in that psalm, it talks about God appointing to David to be God's, as it were, viceroy, and says, I'm now reading verse 26, I placed his hand over the sea, and his right hand over the rivers. Now that's about as good an example as I could possibly get. Our, our passage in Sukkah does not use that verse, and I don't think John Levinson uses this Gemara. But it certainly could, and they certainly, the Gemara could have and Levinson could have. David is here seen as God's partner in subduing the chaos that is layered into the world, and, and David does so through means of the divine name. Amazing Agadot today, amazing, amazing passages of lore. Thanks for learning them with me, and I look forward to learning with you again tomorrow. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently, and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the opening and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epichorus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.